Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Beaver Banter Podcast. I'm Nick Daschle and I cover Oregon State football and basketball for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. The Beavers wrapped up their 22 regular season Saturday with a 38-34 win over Oregon at Research Stadium. We're going to break down the game and take a peek at what's ahead in the bowl season and probably talk a little bit about a little bit other news that's going on with Oregon State. Joining me on the podcast as he does every week is former Oregon State cornerback Kyle White. Welcome back, Kyle. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, what a game i don't know where to begin but (laughs) uh you know it's just an incredible game incredible atmosphere i mean you know sunny weather i mean it's for i i don't think you could have from an atmosphere standpoint and a weather standpoint i don't think you could draw it up any better for for a game like this and although you know i wouldn't say it was everything you'd expect from a you know a championship fight like like you know like it turned out to be because in so many ways they seem to go off the script uh, you know the the beavers went dead for about 11 12 minutes and then so did the ducks and then oregon state decided to bag bag the passing game all together and i mean it was just i mean it wasn't what you what you'd expect you know you you, you just kind of expect them to throw punches for 12 rounds but I mean, it was just, it kind of, but in, in the end, it turned out to be you know, great. But, you know, regardless who won, it turned out to be great. It just, you know, the way they went about it was a little, a little off the script. But what, uh, what, what were your thoughts on what you saw? I mean, literally exactly what you said. It was like a beginning, all right, this is going to be a good game. All of a sudden, Oregon goes dead. Then Oregon State went dead for a long period of time. And, Within three blinks of an eye, uh, we're up, and it it was like absolutely insane. So, like when you look at the final score, it did not dictate at all how the game actually was played out. Um, man, it was it was crazy. the The whole stadium was electric. I absolutely loved being there, seeing all the Oregon State fans, all the alumni. I saw generations of alumni. It was amazing, and. Uh, but man, was that a game. That was a great photo finish, to say the least. But the game was very, very different. Not expect not how you expect it to go. Who uh who who'd you see at the game? Uh so Drew Kale was there, his older brother Devin was there, Luke was there. Uh I actually met like a couple alums that were what, maybe 10 years before my time, uh, not remembering a whole bunch of names. There's another guy named Nick. He was a kicker back in 85. Oh, uh, uh, Nick Mangold? Yeah. Yeah. So I got to meet with a lot of guys and meet a lot of new faces that were, got to tell me their past experiences. And so, you know, like having every generation speak on their time is, I mean, as I get older, it's going to be fun for me to talk about as if it wasn't like, a couple years ago, five years ago now. But I mean, when they get to speak on it, when it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it, it's, 
it's definitely memory and it's like you get to see a whole different side of Oregon State that you that you never got to see really. Yeah, it probably makes it a little better too that you that you experienced a win at some point too during your career. I mean, it would suck if <laughs> you know all you did was lose games, but you you won a good one, you lost it. You lost a not so good one, but but you won a good one and that's you know you can that's the one you can kind of hang your hat on for to talk to people about was was that game Ryan Nall and all that stuff. Exactly. So I'm looking, uh, I know I'm looking, I don't know where we should start here. I, I, I was, first of all, I was thinking, you know, I thought maybe react a little bit to the news of the day. Uh, Trent Bray got a contract extension. Um, they uh, added another year to his deal. We don't know how much, you know, what they've, what the, the terms of the contract are, but I'll, I'll get those. I'll get those probably within the next week, but, I'm assuming they they bumped him up a fair amount. He was he was scheduled to make six hundred thousand next year, um, which in defensive coordinator world of the Pac-12 is is really kind of in the probably on the first or second floor. I mean, there's at least three coordinators in the Pac-12 that are over a million dollars, well over a million dollars, closer to two million. Um, there's several that are you know near a million. I'm I'm guessing the trends probably. They probably bumped him up a pretty good amount, I would think. Because if I mean, if you're going to be serious about keeping a guy like that, you got you, you got to show it with some with some with some Benjamins. So uh, um, you know, so I I mean, the reason you you, you lock him up for another year is because eventually he's going to be a head coach somewhere. I, I'm I mean that I, that's his ambition. I I know it's his ambition, and you, it should be. Um, but as long as he's going to be a defensive coordinator you want him on your sideline so um i assume you you applaud this move that they're uh you know they, they've locked him up at least for another couple of years oh yeah 100 percent. i mean uh, he was a key role to the record that's shown from this team and you know like without him like i don't know how we look but uh plods to him I'm excited to see what the future holds, and I mean, he's going to do great things. And yeah, I think he deserves every penny. I mean, we go from a decade of barely making 500 to he comes in, Smith comes in, and all of a sudden, I mean, this year, what we projected eight and four, seven and five, I never actually saw nine and three. And I mean, it's well deserved, and I think he's done a great, and he's been a key factor in how they've been this year. Oh yeah, no question. I mean, yeah, it's uh, um, you know, ten of the twelve games Oregon State gave up less than four hundred yards. You know, there were several under three hundred yards a game. Um, you know, the home field, the defense. You know, outside of the Oregon game, they pretty much didn't give up. They, they, I mean, they pretty much didn't give up much of anything. Um, you know, so. The defense had a lot to do with this nine and three record, as much as any. It, it really was. If you look, if you go back over this record, you're gonna you're gonna see that it was it was quite a team effort. I mean, the the special teams contributed quite a bit in some of the wins, and the offense obviously did some stuff, especially Damian Martinez. But the defense, you know, they won games primarily because that that team gave them that that side of the ball gave Oregon State a chance every game this season. So. Outside of maybe the Utah game, but that was more contributed by the offense than the defense. So, 
but yeah, they they kept Oregon State in every game, and that's that's how you win nine games. Is yeah, you give yourself a chance with the defense. Agreed. Yeah. Um. So let's start maybe or move move on from Trent to kind of the big picture stuff. You know, Oregon State's nine and three. You got a chance at a ten win season for the third time in school history. 2000 and 2006 were the other two times they 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 won at least 10 games 2000 they won 11 um I, you know there's a case to be made this this season's as every bit as impactful as that 2000 season which is kind of put up there as the as the gold standard of the program um i mean in the end it's probably not as meaningful but i mean just if you look at it, i mean based on where this program's been the recruiting well, you know, it'll help recruiting. It's energized the fan base. The stadium remodels right right around the corner you know, is is going on right now. You know, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a uh, you know you're gonna have a lot of people wanting seats next year, which is what they need to fill this place. And then you know another kind of thing that's sort of under the radar, and you know you're not really thinking about it much is you know college enrollment struggling these days not Oregon not just Oregon State everywhere it's it's you know it's t- it's tougher to get p- kids into school because of you know it costs so much and you know when you get when you got a football football teams can drive a lot of excitement and I, I don't think it, I, I think a good football team can't can't hurt Oregon State's chances in, in the enrollment area either but there's just so many things that this nine three record could do can do at Oregon State I mean, I'm sure your friends are probably reacting to the season in a positive manner too, aren't they? Oh, everybody is. Yeah, no, we've been my little friend group. We've been excited, crazy happy, and you know, ecstatic for everything. And my biggest thing has been, where's the bowl game? Where's the bowl game? Because like, I'm definitely buying a ticket. And you know, like them showing up to the games in Utah and Arizona. Uh, some coming out to Corvallis to come watch the games and now we're all spread out so it shows how impactful and how meaningful like the Oregon State team this year has been and um, yeah like I think it's going to be amazing I think this was the greatest kickstart to a whole new foundation for Oregon State where we'll have the new stadium Uh, we'll have a great team where all the fan base is going to be there we're going to have the place packed next year and it's just going to keep going on and on and I can see a Coach Miss really doing something at Oregon State, and it's it's so exciting to watch. Now, I mean, the, the key to this whole thing is you, you got to keep Jonathan Smith in town, and I've got no reason to believe he's going anywhere. But I, I got to think there's something coming up in, in regard to Jonathan too and his contract because, I mean, it, you don't necessarily have to re redo a guy's contract every year just because he has a winning season. But at nine and three, he's going to be he's going to be in demand by other programs. And I mean, they did his contract last year. I think they got to do it again this year to to you know show that you know they're they're committed to the guy. And I mean, he's 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 going to move up into a new neighborhood, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So I mean, I Jonathan doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's driven by by money. But I mean. That's why that's part of the reason you work is, you know, to make money and, and, you know, he can, you know, it's the kind of stuff you can set up your family for, for, for lifetimes. Um, you know, so I, 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 I think Oregon state's going to do something here at some point with him. Well, I mean, I haven't heard anything, but I, I think something, something will get done. Yeah. In ways I look at Jonathan Smith as like a coach Riley, where it's like, you know, like, uh, 
he loves where he played and he or he loves this place and so like he wants to be here like I know that they're going to give him the money that he deserves either this year next year or soon but I also think that he just loves Oregon State and um I hope that he wouldn't leave you know I think that he loves this place just as much so I wouldn't see him leaving but you know money does talk so yeah I mean, I think with Jonathan, the next, you know, the next step for him, if he ever is to leave Oregon State, I don't think it's going to be for college. I think it's going to be the NFL. I, that's that's to, that's my gut feeling says that's where you know if he ever leaves, it's it's because it's some NFL opportunity that you know that he's been kind of wanting to do, you know, for his career. But again, I I I, I don't see him going anywhere, but. You got to make sure you, you got to make sure that you got to make sure that you just can't assume the guy's going to stick around just because it's Oregon State and it's his you know it's his home school and all that stuff. So, um, so we're uh, let's take a little look at the the bowl season here. There's there's a lot of possibilities for Oregon State on paper. I mean, Oregon State technically qualifies for everything, depending on what happens. Um, Depending on what happens, uh, well, they're, they're really not. They were at one point still had a – were breathing for the Rose Bowl, but they, they, they really can't get that one now. That's either going to be Utah or USC or, or Washington, one of those three. Um, but, I mean, the, the Alamo is – I don't think they can get in the Alamo Bowl, but technically they, they're qualif- they, they qualify for that bowl. I think the three that – that Oregon state are most likely to be in the running for are the holiday bowl. That's December 28th in San Diego against an ACC team. Uh, the Vegas bowl that's Saturday, December 17th. Um, in obviously in Las Vegas against an SEC team. And then the sun bowl is December 30th against an SEC team. And that game's in El Paso. Um, I've been saying all along that, that, the Sun Bowl looks looks like the most likely possibility for Oregon State, just based on TV. Um, you know, Oregon State is is going to lose every time when it comes to TV stuff with teams like UCLA, and um, and they're going to probably you know they're going to struggle matching brands with Oregon. You know, Washington's got a big big market. But I'm hearing, I'm hearing. There's, they got some possibilities with the Vegas and Holiday Bowl. I, it's not the slam dunk I thought it was for the Sun Bowl. I'm, I've got interviews set up tomorrow with with the bowl directors for all three, um, for all three of the Sun Holiday and and Vegas Bowl. And you know, I don't know how much they're gonna, you know, they all they'll they'll, they'll, they'll paint a, a rosy picture for sure for Oregon State. But I'm hoping I can find out something that maybe will. A, a nugget or something that will lead me to believe something. Give me a better idea where, where the Beavers might be headed and see what they actually think of, of Oregon state. But I do think Oregon state, in fact, they've never been to the holiday bowl before. I think that'll be attractive to the holiday bowl. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll send a lot of fans down there and Vegas is before Christmas. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't want to go to Vegas before Christmas? Well, I, don't I know, know I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say you probably favor the Vegas bowl. Yeah, it's right? a little closer, smaller, cheaper ticket, great weather. You know, you got everything in Vegas. Why not? I, I think that'd be amazing. The Vegas bowl or the uh, holiday bowl. I think 
it'd be fun. I, I can see them getting to either. You know, I, I thought myself that it was going to be the Sun Bowl. And, you know, when you hear that there's more opportunities now, uh, especially after that game, that was my first thought is it's not a slam dunk to the Sun Bowl. I was excited to see how that they won and that knowing that they'd win that or hoping that they'd win that, um, more opportunities would open up. So I'm excited to see what sort of happens. I'm not, I'm, I don't matter. It doesn't matter to me where they go because a bowl game's a bowl game. I'm excited for all of them or whichever one, but you know, that'd be awesome for everybody in Corvallis to skate down to Vegas or everybody to skate down to San Diego. So yeah, I mean, that. regardless of what bowl they end up, I, I, the bowl, the bowl season always, it, it often becomes who's the most motivated team. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Oregon State is going to be pretty motivated at any of these bowls because they got a shot at ten wins, and that's that's a big deal for Oregon State. So I, I I can't imagine them, you know, taking it, you know, taking this as a vacation trip. I I, I see Oregon State pretty motivated for wherever they go. I mean, to me, the optimal bowl would be the Vegas Bowl. You know, not just because it's in Vegas, and not just because it's before Christmas, but it's a chance to play an SEC team. I mean. Could that be Mississippi? Could that be Mississippi State? Um, you know, a team like that. Oregon State doesn't get chances to play SEC teams very often, and yeah, be, that would that'd be interesting to see how you know they match up against one of those those schools. So, I, I, I think the Vegas one is it's the most appealing, but any of the three would be would be a good get for Oregon State. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, uh- yeah, so, well, let's go to Saturday. What happened Saturday? Oh, so much happened Saturday. Um, the Saturday, the game starts well. You know, Beavers, Beavers scoring their first two possessions. They're about to score a third, make it 17-7 when then the Zebras stepped in and and had to put their stamp on the game. Um, that, you know, the call wasn't... Neither one of the, neither one of the runs by Martinez were first down. Got to the first down, but the third down one was just a horrible mark because it left him a whole yard short of the first down. Where Martinez went down, his knee was clearly six to eight inches beyond the five, with the ball about another foot ahead of him. The ball should have been probably within six to twelve inches from the four yard line which is an easy, easy quarterback sneak for Ben Galbrinson. I mean, he, those have been automatic for him. Instead, you know, where they marked it, now they've got a full yard to get, and they didn't get it. And <laughs> and what just made things worse, not that, not that it impacted the, the, the play, but so they mark it on the five. They go to the monitor, still can't figure it out, so they leave it on the five, and then they got to measure the darn thing. It was so it was clearly a yard short from where they marked it, but they still had to measure the. Thing. It was it was like just comedy watching them. This the, the whole the whole situation with the officials. I don't know. What you, I mean, from where you were in the terrace area, so I mean, all you could see is I guess the scoreboard. But I mean, what, I could what, see what the scoreboard, and I'd go back into the game room and I'd go look at that TV as well, and. It was frustrating because multiple times I feel like in the game that kept happening where they were just like, 
they'd keep us a yard shorter. They'd push it back from where the ball, in my opinion, should have been spotted. Because, I mean, looking for an eye's view at a TV, and you're looking at his knee or his arm, or like looking at where the ball was, it, it seemed like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like every year, Dent's like, it's either Oregon State, and I'm a, I, again, I'm biased. But, you know, they in ways sometimes have it out for us. And so it was frustrating to see. But, yeah, no, you're 100% correct on that, though. I mean, I, I it, it's a tough job. And everybody knows the officiating is a tough job. But if you've got the chance to go to the monitor, <laughs> that just seems <laughs> like you should be able to get that one right. And they didn't even get it right there. So I, I asked for I asked for clarification from the Pac-12 and didn't get anything. So I don't know if we'll ever find out, you know, what, what was actually what actually went through their mind on all that. But uh, I'm just curious, you know, what, what, when you get a call like that that goes against you that's obviously bad as a player, I mean, is it how difficult is it to refocus like right away, or or do you or do you even really know how bad the call is? Because I mean, it's not like you you you're on the field looking at a monitor yourself. I mean, you have an idea, but I mean, I don't know if the players knew how how bad that spot was. I mean, from a defensive mindset, it doesn't really do much to you just because that's not your area of the game that you're focused on. Yeah, you're cheering your, te- you're cheering your team on. You want them to get the first down. It seems like it was almost expected, and at, at times it's just like it didn't work out, right? But like going back from my junior college and high school days where I was an offensive running back and you coming up short on something for fact you know you got, and you can look at it, replay boots, so on and so forth. It's mentally draining just like a play because it's like, you put all the effort because you saw where you had to be and it didn't happen. So like at running back, you want to just be like, all right, I got to put my head down and do this again, which is fine. But I feel like more guys than not, it's just like, gosh, like now we're fighting for more. And it's it's mentally draining and it's hard to get your head back wrapped around that. Or you have those guys that are just like, all right, let's just do it again. And I feel like Oregon State's O-line running back run game period i mean it that's something that they're normally good at where they're like we're used to going on fourth down it's fine so like i think that their mindset was like whatever let's do this whereas like most teams that don't it's like a well this is going to get a little harder now and so it's they have to take a step back and then put themselves back in that situation so yeah so obviously that that situation didn't go well for Oregon State, and then before you know it, it's it's thirty one to ten in the you know late in the third quarter. I mean, I I know I I pretty much thought it was over. I I pretty much I I'd been writing a game story you know during during all this, and I at, you know at some point I just decide when I'm going to start writing, and I just figured you know it's thirty one ten it's 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 not over but it's i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna roll the dice and and write it like it's it's probably over and obviously that those words all went away about 10 minutes later but uh you know i don't know the 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 players you know oregon state's players claim they knew it was a four quarter game i think most people in the stadium felt like you know it was pretty much over but when players say they know it's a four quarter game, I, I know they're saying this after the game and all that, but realistically, how, how much do players really believe that, that, that how much do they really believe that, you know, it's, it's 31 to 10, you're getting, a, you're getting your teeth kicked in. 
And then do you really believe you're going to come back from that? I, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it takes a certain group of players like Oregon State has to do that. I don't know. I think this this group of guys is different. I potentially do believe that they believe that. Now, me as a player, even when I played, yeah, if I'm looking at that scoreboard, I'm probably mentally out for at least a minute. But it's always that one thing that can spark it all to come right back. It's just it takes one play. Whether you're down thirty-one to ten or you're down like twenty-eight zero, it's just one play that it takes to get the whole sideline mentally back in it and just refocus. And so, you know, like I looked at that score at myself and was like, well, this game is starting to be over. I was like, this game's over. So I started, you know, just connecting with some friends and I'm sitting like first row right in front of the, uh, t- on the terrace and I'm just talking, watching the game. Cause it's like right there, all of a sudden I saw a score. I saw a score. I saw a score and I was sitting here just like, Oh my gosh, I just blinked. Wait, what just happened? So then I was like, yeah, we're like legit already like ahead now. Like, so, I mean, I feel like in their minds, the way they've played all years, they can't be, you can't think down on Oregon State football. Oregon, that Oregon State team, this Oregon State team, they're a different kind of Oregon State breed that we've not seen. And I mean, they've never counted themselves out of any game and any opponent shouldn't count them out of any game. Now, us as fans, we just see the score and go, yeah, like, this is bad. But I think that they've thought, differently about themselves all year long and expected all four quarters. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I asked a number of the players after the game, you know, what was it that, that triggered this thing? You know, what got you back into it? And, you know, most of them would go back to the, well, we believe, you know, it's a four quarter game, blah, 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 and all that. But I I really think the turning point was Damian Martinez ripping off that 43 yard run on, on, once it got to 31-10, Oregon State got the ball and the kickoff. He ran 43 yards in the first play. I, I felt like going back, that was the, that was what got it going because it not only gave Oregon State something positive, it got the stadium lit back up again. I mean, the stadium was dead for, for quite a while, and all of a sudden this run happens and the fans got back into it. And then next thing you know, they're in the end zone, there's a fumble punt snap, you know, the call on fourth and one. The stadium just totally turned on Oregon, and and, and Oregon couldn't deal. The Oregon had a hard time dealing with the stadium. The the crowd was just electric, and they they made a difference. And I I just thought that Martinez run. I just I remember how loud the crowd got on that one. And so I that's what I that's what I think happened is that you know that one play really energized Oregon State and, and its fan base. No, I 100% agree. And I, I think it comes down to a re-spark turns from a play. And again, like I said, every week, Oregon State's crowd has a big, big part in it. And like, I don't know if they understand how big of an influence they help Oregon State football. But when they're loud, Oregon State, the Oregon State football team is hyped. They're energized and they're ready to go regardless. And so, you know, like it, it's almost like, we feed the, we feed off them just as much as we feed as they feed off of us. So I mean, the great play by Martinez led the Oregon State fans to go crazy, myself included. And then from there, I mean, everything just went back to turning. And so, 
yeah, like. Yeah, and then the and then the defense obviously put its stamp on this game too. Uh, you know, later in the evening, I noticed on Twitter, you know, a colleague had mentioned that the pack uh, must have been during the the Apple Cup when when teams were just pretty much turned into a track meet in the first half. Mentioned that you know Pac twelve defense is just terrible and just kind of ripping on it. And I'm thinking, well, apparently this person seems to forget that the Oregon state goal line stand that kept one of the country's best offenses out of the end zone. I mean, I mean, that's it. Uh, you can rip on the pac 12 defense all you want, but that was, that, that was a pretty good stand by, by, by a good defense. And, and uh, I mean, I don't know what you remember about that defensive stand, but it was three consecutive runs that went nowhere. And then a pass play that, that, that really did turn into nothing. I mean, obviously that won the game. Oh yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. I, I, even leading up to that play, or uh, a couple plays before that, including that one, Oregon had called a couple fourth down plays instead of punting it, instead of kicking a field goal. And I mean, Oregon State's defense is, in ways, is in my opinion, is not a Pac-12 defense. They're a legit defense. It's not just play fast, throw the ball around. No, I think that they love to run it down your throat and play great defense and make stops. And, yeah, you can single out Oregon State when you'd say the Pac-12 defenses are bad because Oregon State's defense is, in ways, the boulder we rely on and then our run game. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, all in all, that was, uh, you know, that game Saturday was an instant classic. Um I've been asked, you know, is this was this the best civil war of all time? Um, probably not. I mean, the thirty-seven. I mean, it's hard to trump the thirty-seven, thirty-three game in two thousand nine, where both teams had Rose Bowl on the line for whoever won the game. Yeah, thirty-seven, thirty-three game with with that kind of stakes. That that's pretty hard to top. Um, well, it's probably it's probably a top five game, I would think. I mean, I I mean, you probably I don't know how much you 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 know about you know Oregon Oregon State history of games, but I kind of went through them, and I I thought it was probably in the top five to seven somewhere in that neighborhood. But um, but one I would ask you about was you know this was a nine win season. What would you where where would you rank this win um, among the nine? I mean, I'm thinking it's probably number one, but I don't think it's a slam dunk because there was some there was some awfully good wins this season. There was a lot of good wins this season. Um, I would probably say one still, just because one, it's Oregon. They were ranked number I want to say seven or ten before the game. Two, it's the Oregon Oregon State Classic. You know, like it's just the rivalry game. Um. And, I mean, they had all the offensive power, but we were just a defensive team yeah. on top of a great run game. So, like, I, in ways, I, I do want – I'm, I'm going to say one just because of who it is and the state that they both had to represent. And the winner is now the owner of the state for the year, and I absolutely love that. I guess the competition for the best win of the year with Oregon would probably be the Stanford game um, and Fresno State, although I, I – I kind of think the Boise State game gets a little bit of a, gets short shrift a little bit. You know, Boise's turned out to be pretty darn good. They 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 they're the they're playing for the 
uh, Mountain West title against Fresno this week. But Boise's had a better season than Fresno. Um, and they came into the game with, with pretty good reputation on offense. And Oregon State made it 24 nothing by halftime. I mean, the performance was really good. But for theater, I mean, the Boise State game probably wasn't, you know, great. But I thought the performance was, was good. And same thing with the Washington State game. I, I don't know if that's going to be rated as, you know, one of the great games of the season either. But they handled a really good Washington State team, one twenty-four to ten, and I never, you know, I, mean, I never even thought Washington State ever had a chance in that game, and they they just didn't. And um, so that was a good performance too. But I mean, for theater, the Oregon game certainly had to be, it, it's got to be number one. But Stanford sure takes a run at it with the way they had to finish that game, scoring three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and and winning in the manner that they did. I mean, that was pretty incredible, too. I mean, you know, and I don't know. I don't know this. I, I mean, I don't know that Saturday happens if Stanford and Fresno don't happen because, you know, I, I think they, they drew on those games. They 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 believe they could win those games, and they did. And, you know, they just – you have those experiences, so you know you can do it. And I, I'm not saying they couldn't have won Saturday, but I think having that Stanford and Fresno experience – had to have helped out a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that from the beginning of the season's games and how close they were, um, it showed that we don't cave under pressure and that Oregon State can prevail when the time is needed. And so I thought those games, the only reason why I didn't say like the Boise game, the Stanford game, and like the Fresno game were like the top games of the season was because, I mean, when I talk to people around here in Portland or I'm talking to my friends in any other state. They're all like, "You, your preseason games are nobodies. They're the Mountain West. But the Mountain West is good. But because it's a lower rank than a Power 5 school, I always want to be like, just two fans or anybody, yeah, but now we beat Oregon. So you have no real saying. But at the same time, like it was Oregon-Oregon State rivalry, which makes it even better. So yeah, for show, it's definitely the Oregon game. For last-minute plays, I'm definitely going Stanford because that was the scariest moment. <laughs> I mean, without that game um, and the Fresno State game and the Boise game, who knows where the season would be right now. But those were all great games that showed that we prevail through all of it. and They can go the four quarters, the whole thing, and they'll fight till the last moment of the game which yeah. is amazing. So one other thing I thought of on the flip side, obviously the toughest loss of the season, it's not even close, even though, you know, Oregon state lost at Washington by three. Well, it was the USC game. Yes. Um, if, if Oregon state wins that game, the PAC 12 finishes the regular season in a five way tie for first. <laughs> All it ha- that is the only thing that keeps that from a five-way tie. If Oregon State beats USC, it's a five-way tie for first at seven and two. And beats me how they. I know they have tiebreakers, so I'm we thinking, went through it. Uh, I'm thinking they probably would have to go down down to about the last criteria to figure out who plays in the championship game and in that situation. But um, yeah, that one makes it just even tougher the way that 
you know, Oregon State lost that game. Last night, me and my best friend from back in Alabama, we went through the criterias for Washington, Utah, and Oregon. But we didn't go over if Oregon State would have beat Utah, which would have been even more chaotic, which would have been really cool to actually like go through. But we went through the criteria because now there's no divisions in the Pac-12. It's all one pool together. So now with a three-way tie, you look into who they, uh, between the three teams, what was the best record, which all of them beat each other at one point. So it was like Washington beat Oregon, but Oregon beat Utah, but Utah beat Washington. So then they had to go down to the next criteria on... I mean, I believe in the, I believe in the case at Oregon State beat Utah, USC would have been one, and then it would have been a three way tie for second between Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State. And I think in that situation, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. Oregon would have went because um, Oregon would have had a win over Utah. Um, yes, and that they were the second highest. They would have been this. Um, they would have been the, um, they would have been out of the tie, but I think they'd be nobody would have beaten USC, and so they would have had to go down to the next team in the standings. Although I think it's got to be somebody that ever. So may, maybe that's not. I don't know. It'd be interesting to go through and see everything, but I, I don't Oregon's. I don't know if Oregon State would have. I'd have to. Let's see. Washington State. Everybody played Washington State. And mm-hmm. Utah and Washington, yeah, that it wouldn't be Washington. That would be a tough one to break up because you'd have to go quite a ways down the standings. I don't think you could find any common opponents. So then you had to go to strength the schedule, and I don't know, I don't know where that one turns out. So common um, opponents would have been Cal. Yeah, I think the common opponents wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't work because it, I think everybody won either won them all or lost them all or um, yeah. So. I don't think that it would have come down to the strength of schedule thing, I believe. And, and then beyond that, it would have been, you know, the final F the, well, they actually don't use the CFP on, on that one because, because they can't wait till Tuesday. So. Yeah. Um, this whole non-division thing now is really confusing. Yeah. Well, soon USC and UCLA will be out of this thing and, you know, <laughs> and, you know, they'll just be way to finish the year with a bang, though, for the Pac-12. Yeah, boy, I didn't realize I forgot about that. If they'd just beaten USC, it would have been a five-way tie for first. Man, <laughs> that would have been nuts. Well, anyway, I think that's. Uh, I think we'll uh, we'll kill this thing right here. Um, we're gonna probably do one or two more of these during the bowl season. What again? I have no idea who it's gonna be, but at some point we'll do a couple more, one or two more podcasts. That you know, once we get into the bowl type bowl part of the, of the Oregon state season. So um, that's, that's about all we got for this week's edition of the Beaver banter podcast. Remember you can find this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to check out Oregon live for all our Oregon state content. As I said, we'll be back. Uh, I don't know when we'll be back. We'll be back at some point between we'll be back. depending on when this between if it's you know an early Vegas bowl or a December thirtieth Sun Bowl. But we'll be back. So we'll see you next time. <laughs>